So if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. And today is the, the end of a very long journey through the book of Luke. Uh, we, we began this series actually in Christmas 2018. And we've worked carefully and methodically through the book of Luke. We've had a few breaks here and there. Uh, we took a break at Christmas for Isaiah, the next Christmas for the book of Psalms. We took a break looking at the seven letters in Revelation. But for the most part, we've been working through the gospel of Luke. And you'll remember that the very beginning introduction of Luke was all about certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. So if you just look in your Bible, this is not printed in your bulletin, at the very beginning of Luke, it, it says that this physician is writing to a man named Theophilus using eyewitness testimony. And he says that he, he was writing, most excellent Theophilus, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And, and I hope that in our time and our, our labor in this book that you have a greater degree of certainty about the things that have been accomplished through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as I said, next week, well, not next week, uh, next week, Jonathan will be preaching for us from the book of uh, Hebrews. And then the week after that, we'll be picking up a new series in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And so again, we're, but today we're in Luke chapter 24. And then I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 44. said to them, these are my words. Oh, sorry, actually, verse 36. I said 34, and I was looking at Luke. There we go. In my, in my Bible, you're probably looking at yours. There we go. So verse 36, actually, we're picking up. <laughs> it, it says, uh, as they walked together and talked about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Father, we pray that as we look at this text together that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, we are unable to understand it on our own. We are unable to apply it on our own. Lord Jesus, we need you uh, to send your spirit or we'll never see you here. Um, so, Father, we, we pray for your guidance and we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. So I looked up the, the total word count for the book of Luke. And in most translations, it's around 20,000 words. And that may seem like a lot, but then I, I was just comparing it to a well-known biography of Alexander Hamilton by Ron Cheneau, the, the one that inspired the Hamilton musical. And it has over 300,000 words. And so in a way, you could think that, that Luke is a very concise book considering the importance of the person that is being discussed. It's this short biography of Jesus. But really the, the brief nature of the Gospel of Luke, and really of all four Gospels, all the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, it's actually a blessing for the church. Because what God could have done was had somebody follow Jesus around with a scribe throughout his entire earthly ministry. His first words recorded, every single word recorded. And so we could have a, a massive hundred volume collection of the complete manuscript of every word that Jesus uttered in his 33 years of life on this earth. And that would definitely be interesting. I wish in some ways that we had that. But what we have in the New Testament is actually something that is far more valuable to us as the church. Because through life in general, it's difficult to focus on what is most important. When you plan your day, there are so many things that you can do. What is most important? When you plan your, your goals in life, what are you going to focus your life on? There are so many options. And even for businesses or organizations, for nonprofits, um, there are so many places where you can focus, that you can care about. And if you have everything on the table, you end up not noticing anything. But quite often, when you can narrow it down to what is most important, you actually can see more clearly what is valuable. And, and that's the same with the, the book of Luke, that, that we have this distilled understanding of the ministry of Jesus. But even within that, I think we have an especially distilled understanding of what is really important from these final words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. The words that I was just reading. That Jesus, after the resurrection, was with the disciples for 40 days. And once again, we don't have a record of every single word he uttered in those 40 days. And so if this is what 
the Holy Spirit in his wisdom saw fit to give us. This is important. These are the final marching orders of our Lord and Savior to the church before he ascended into heaven to come again in glory in a time that is still in the future from our perspective. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on what is most important. And we see three priorities here in this text, that we should focus on the Bible, we should focus on the gospel, and we should focus on the mission, the, the Bible, the gospel, and the mission. And notice the, the first priority in verse 44, that we should focus on the Bible. Jesus says to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if I were with the, the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, I would want to focus on him alone. <laughs> that that if, if somebody pulled out a Bible at that point, I would say, okay, so just put the Bible away. I just want to focus on Jesus because he's here with me in flesh and blood. But what Jesus does with his disciples, and we saw this last week as well, is he's, he's with them, the resurrected Jesus, with his people. And where does he point them? Yes, as we'll see in a moment, he did point them to his, his hands, his feet, that he was really, truly risen from the dead. But he points them to the word of God, to the scriptures. And he reminds them that everything written in the Old Testament is true. And it will all be fulfilled. And you see that summary of the Old Testament. And this is a, a Jewish way of talking about the Old Testament, where he, he mentions the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the, the law of Moses is a way of describing the first five books of the Old Testament, the books written by Moses. And then you have the prophets, which is what we consider the histories and the minor and the major prophets. Uh, they called it the, the former prophets, really the histories, and then the latter prophets. And then we see the, the Psalms, and that's a shorthand for the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You could also wrap what's called the writings into that book, so I would include uh, the book of Esther. And so Jesus here is saying the, the entire Old Testament, all of the parts of the scripture are going to be fulfilled. And this is really significant as we think about the Bible. What is the Bible? How should Christians view the Bible? Should we have a high view of the Bible or a low view of the Bible? And that Jesus didn't say, well, you know, the, the Bible's not very reliable. It's been translated so many times you can't trust what it's saying. He, he didn't say, well, Human language can't describe an infinite God, so it's, it's completely worthless to try to even use words. He didn't say that the Bible is so full of, of contradictions, or it's outdated, or it came from just a different culture. It's not relevant for us. But Jesus says, no, everything written about me in the scriptures is going to be fulfilled, that this is the word of God, this is the inerrant truthful word of God without error in every single part. But Jesus said else, elsewhere in his ministry that, that not a dot or tittle of the word will pass away until all is accomplished, that it will be 
fulfilled. It's true. And that's part of the reason that as a church, if we're thinking about what is most important, well, we focus on the Bible. And that's why we, we preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section. That, that's why even in our worship service, the centerpiece of our worship service is the preaching of the word of God. And it, it is not to, sometimes you think, well, is that just kind of elevating the work of the minister? And that, that's not the case, but it's actually elevating the word of God above the minister. Because it's, what, it's, what it's saying is that, that what forms the church, what, what drives the church is the word of God. What, what orients our week is sitting under the word. What's, what's going to form us in the, in the long term it's the preaching of the word first and foremost, and then going out from that, the reading of the word in our families as, as individuals. And if you were to look at church history, and you're going to track the role of the preaching of the Bible in the church, that in times when preaching of the Bible recedes or it's not prioritized, it's always a time of spiritual darkness, of uh, trouble in the church. The church begins to prioritize other things that maybe even aren't bad in and of themselves. They'll prioritize programs or ceremonies or traditions or politics, that these things start to become central. This is what we focus on. This is what we talk about the most. And those things become the center of the church and its life rather than the word of God. But it's the word of God that builds the church. But then the opposite is true, that if you look at the periods of renewal, of revival, of reformation that have broken out in the world in the past 2,000 years, there's always this convergence of renewal and revival and attention to the word of God, valuing the preaching of the word of God. And it's one of those chicken and egg kind of situations where you say, is it then that, that the word of God is being preached and proclaimed boldly and clearly and relevantly, and then that leads to conversion and change and people being born again and, and dedicating themselves or rededicating themselves to the Lord? Or is it that when people experience a change and they see the glory and the beauty of Jesus and, and start to actually want to, to live as a Christian, that suddenly they start to relish the word of God, that it's the word of God that they desire. And they say, no, we, it's not that we want shorter sermons, we want longer sermons. There's, of course, a limit of our attention span. As, as I said, it's not many, many words, but uh, that we want, we want more of the word of God, not less of the word of God, that that becomes our value. And it's true that if there's ever going to be real, meaningful, lasting spirit-wrought renewal and revival in Zion Valley, or Johns Ford, or the Mid-Atlantic, or America, or the world, it might seem to come for a while through, through programs or through uh, some kind of shiny leadership model, but the ultimate deep, lasting, abiding change is the one that, that flows out of the word of God and is built upon the foundation of Scripture. And that doesn't mean, though, that, that we're only just focusing on the words of a book. We are focusing on the words of a book. But the, the Bible is different than any other book. 
that it is the truthful, inerrant word of God, but we are actually unable to fully understand it and apply it by our own strength. And that's why in verse 45, it says that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scripture. Up until this point, they, they had not really grasped what the scriptures are about. And that's something that we try to model even here in our worship service, that, that every week we read the passage of scripture and then we pray together, Lord, help us to understand this, help us to apply it. And that can become a formality where it's just, well, of course, after you read the passage, you pray, and that's just what you do. But there's this, this deep conviction that as natural man, as, as human beings in our sin, in and of ourselves, yes, of course, you could, you could sit down with anyone who knows the English language and define each word in our text today. You could understand the sentences. You could understand the grammar. I mean, all that requires is an understanding of, of English if you're reading an English translation. But to truly grasp the, the spiritual meaning, the, to grasp the, the true import of the word of God and to see the beauty and the glory of Christ and to desire God and to truly repent of our sins and to turn from sins onto him and to want to actually live out what we're reading in the passage rather than just informing our mind, that that's something that can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God, that without being born again, says Jesus to Nicodemus, that you can't even see the kingdom of God. And this is important for all of us as well and our wives, our families, that yes, the, the springboard for being in the word is the preaching of the word every Lord's day. But yet, as we read our Bible with our spouse or with our children, as we read it when we wake up in the morning or when we go to bed at night, that what we're praying is, is saying, Lord, I'm not just going to approach this as any other mere human book. And I'm not going to expect that I have the wisdom to interpret this in myself. I'm not even going to rely on just a human teacher to explain it to me, but I'm going to look for the, the Spirit of God to open my eyes, to open my mind, to open my heart, so that I can see wonderful things in the Word of God, and so that I can actually desire and begin to live it out in the world around me. And so that's our, our first priority here, that we should focus on the Bible. But then second, we should focus on the main message of the Bible, which is the gospel. We should focus on the gospel. And we see this also from Jesus in verse 46. That he tells his, his disciples, what does the Bible teach? Well, he says that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. So again, you have the, you have the Bible. What's the main message of the Bible? It's the gospel. It's the good news. What's the essence of the good news? Well, it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that, that he really was alive. He really lived a perfect life. He really died a sacrificial death. He really rose again from the dead. And without that truth, Christianity crumbles, that, that the entire logic of the, the religion breaks down. 
Because if, if Jesus died and never came back to life again, then it's not just that Christianity is another good moral religion and that you're just better off having religion in your life. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Christ has not been raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sin. We have no hope for anything after death. And so everything hinges on the resurrection. And that's why Jesus in verse 36 to 43 so much emphasizes his bodily resurrection to his disciples. So yes, he's pointing them to the word of God, to the written word. But he's also saying, don't be afraid, don't be troubled. He's saying, does a spirit have a body like me? No, that, that I'm, I'm truly here in flesh and bone and, and blood. See my hands and feet. And then he even says that they should bring him some fish. And then he eats fish with the disciples. And, and you say, well, why does Jesus need to eat? That is, he's just not had anything to eat since he rose from the dead. And I think that there again, what Jesus is doing is he's putting this visible proof before the eyes of the disciples saying, no, this is not just a vision. This is not just a ghost. This really, truly is Jesus raised from the dead and the tomb is empty, that he wants them to have this certainty. And so that's the heart of the, the gospel, the essence. But, but we actually see another aspect of the gospel here as well. So it's about the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But then picking up in verse 46 again, it says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. And so that's the second part of the gospel message, that it's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it's about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is the, the central message of the Bible, that when we repent of our sins, when we, we turn from sin to Christ in faith, that we're united to him. I mean, the image that always comes to mind for me is plugging a dead phone into a, the outlet, and suddenly it starts to charge, that all our sin is counted to Christ on the cross. His righteousness is counted to us, that we are adopted into the family of God. We receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive new identity. And we receive this sure promise that just as God raised Christ from the dead, gave him a real glorious resurrection body, that he will raise us on the last day with Christ, give our, giving us resurrection bodies like Christ's resurrection bodies. And so that's the, that's the gospel. Verse 46, it's about death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 47, it's about repentance and faith and forgiveness of sins. And this is where Jesus wants us to focus our attention. And this is also something that, that we try to do at hope, that yes, we preach through books of the Bible, but the desire is always in every single message to come back to the central message, to come back to the gospel. Because that's where every passage in the Bible, to one degree or another, is proclaiming Jesus. That we see a moral command and we say, I'm going to try to do that. You find that you can't perfectly do it. It pushes you to Jesus to see his work on the cross. Or you see 
a, a good example of a leader in the Old Testament, you'd say, wow, Jesus is even better. You see a bad example of a leader in the Old Testament, you say, wow, thank you, Lord, that that, that is not the, the kind of Savior that we have, that, that no matter where you are in Scripture, you can always make your way back to the Gospel. And it may almost, to some of you in the, the preaching or the teaching seem repetitive. Okay, do we have to get here every week? Can we talk about something new? And the, the answer is that, that no, <laughs> that, that we're not going to talk about anything new uh, because this is what we need to hear. This is what the Apostle Paul says is the power of God for salvation. The ministry of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, repentance, faith in him, the salvation that we enjoy in Christ, that this is the message that God uses to raise spiritually dead people to life. And so, of course, that's going to be our central focus as a church. So, again, we focus on the Bible. We, send, we focus on the central message of the Bible, the gospel. But then, third and finally, we focus on the mission. And, and you could say this is the, the mission to carry the word of God to carry the Bible, the gospel, the central message of the Bible out to the world. And this is what Jesus describes here in our text as it goes on. So look at verse 46 again. Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus is saying, don't just sit on this message and have it be something that just fills your minds in an intellectual way. But he's, he's saying, take the message and then carry it out to all nations, to the, to the whole world. And he says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the ends of the world. And we discussed last week, that's what the disciples did. They carried the message out to the known world as far as they could in their lifetimes. And you might say, well, is this mission then only for them? They are the witnesses to the resurrection. Uh, they saw Jesus ascend. We haven't seen the resurrected Jesus Christ in the flesh. But if you follow the logic of this passage, we are also witnesses. And that's where it's so comforting that Jesus points them to the word of God as their confidence. That we have the same scriptures that they have. That we have the same grounds of, of confidence. We have the same power of the Spirit. We have the same gospel to change human hearts. And we have the same mission and the same mandate, not to, to put the, the gospel message under a basket, but to actually let that light shine to the world around us and, and to carry it to the world. And so you might think of this as, first and foremost, the, the call of international missions, that, that we are called to, to send missionaries around the world. Because the, the, the mission of bringing the gospel to all nations, it began with the apostles, but it has not yet been complete. There are still people in the world who have never heard the gospel, have no access to the Bible. And there are many people in our country now who've never had anyone actually explain the gospel clearly 
to them. And so we have this missionary calling. And I have a, a friend who works on the board of an international missions organization. And in, when they bring candidates to interview them to see if they're able to be sent out to the missions field, they always say, how are you doing it, living as a missionary today? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the good news with those in your life? And that tragically, what they hear often is, well, no, I don't share the gospel with anyone. I, I never tell anyone about Jesus. But if you select me to be a missionary, I, I would be glad to go do that somewhere else. Uh, but what they find is that if people are not actually living as missionaries in their day-to-day -day life, there's no heart for the lost and their friends and their family and their neighbors and their coworkers, that when they get to the missions field, they do exactly what they did here, which is nothing, <laughs> that they're not sharing the gospel. And so it, it, that's where it starts for, for all of us is to have this, this burden to see the gospel, to see the good news go out to the world to have this missionary identity be our identity as individuals, but also our identity as a church, that we are a, a mission church. We are a church to carry the mission of the gospel to the world. And I think that that is the, the aspect, the focus of Hope Church that we would be most in danger to lose sight of. I don't think that anytime soon we're, we're prone to abandon the truthfulness and the inerrancy of the Bible. I don't think we're in danger of rejecting the gospel for a counterfeit gospel. And even for, for those in the church, I don't think those are our main dangers. That those, that's always a danger for the church, to lose the gospel or to lose the authority of the scriptures. But I think that, that for us, for other churches in our circles, that the primary danger that we face is to lose sight of our mission to carry the word of God and the gospel to our friends, family, nation, world, because that is far less comfortable. It's far easier to sit around and, and, and just think about the word of God and kind of have in our own little holy clique of believers, uh, but to actually tell anyone else about it puts ourselves on the line. It's hard. We, we face the prospect of rejection or not saying something the right way, and, and that can be scary. And so the church always tends to move to be more ingrown, to be more self-focused, not to be outwardly focused, and that it takes constant work, <laughs> constant uh, reminders of the heart of our mission to actually stay focused on what is most important, to, to help others have certainty concerning the things that they have been taught. But then as we um, draw our time together today, draw together this entire book that we've been working through for so long. Just look at the, the final verses, verse 50 to 53. It says that Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and then lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was, was carried away into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. And some of you probably know the, the first question to the Westminster Shorter Catechism that says, what is the chief and the highest end of man, of humanity? That it is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That 
That is that, that glorifying of God, that enjoyment of God, that is really the end point of, of all the other things that we talked about. That, that the end point of studying the word of God, the end point of, of the gospel, the end point of the mission, ultimately is, is the glory of God and the, and the enjoyment of God. And that's what you see here just flowing out from these disciples in light of the resurrection. And then it says that they go, they're going away rejoicing, that there's a sense of joy, that they're enjoying God. All the fear and, and the, the uncertainty is gone. And then you can also see them, they're glorifying God, they're, they're worshiping Jesus. And so don't ever let anyone tell you that the worship of Jesus was just an invention of the fourth century. That, that right here, the very first reaction of the church is to worship Jesus. They go away worshiping him because he's fully God, fully man, in one person. And that's ultimately our response as well, to, to enjoy God, to glorify him. And then as we come to this meal, uh, this is part of the piece of, of helping us to to glorify and enjoy God more and more. Because uh, what we see here in, the, in this meal is, is the enjoyment of, of, of a drink, of something to eat, uh, but, but it's pointing to our, our union with Christ. Remember I said that when we repent and trust in Jesus, we're united to him by faith. His life becomes our life, our life becomes his life. And that's what this meal is a, a symbol and a seal of, that just as the, the bread, the juice comes into you, it's, it's absorbed into your body, um, that so we are united to Jesus as we repent and trust in him. And it shows the, the glory of God shining 